Right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Me, Myself and Hopefully You podcast. I'm your host, Tariq, a 19-year-old university student currently experiencing a midlife crisis as he has no idea what he wants to do with his life. So rather than see a career advisor or a therapist, I decided to start a podcast where I invite guests from an array of backgrounds to tell me their story. And whilst finding out about them, hopefully I can find out more about myself too. So if you can relate, or maybe you just want to see where I end up, join me every Sunday right here. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest at this time is an actor known for his roles on Bad Education and on the Netflix series Afterlife. We discuss his path into acting, uh, how five minutes with Jack Whitehall got him his first major role on Bad Education, uh, working with Ricky Gervais and what it's really like on the set, uh, unfortunate fan or civilian, as he likes to call them, interactions, uh, working as a pizza delivery man in the middle of what seemed like his up and coming as an actor and so much more. It was definitely one of, if not my favourite podcast episodes, so I do hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. It is none other than the hilarious Mr. Ethan Lawrence. So Ethan, I want to start off with some quick fire questions just to get to know you a bit uh, better. Sure. The first quick fire question to you is who would you consider as a role model in your life? Um, well, that's interesting you ask. Um, so the guy who sort of like the, the person that I watched when it sort of came to getting into comedy, um, I was I was introduced quite young to uh, The Young Ones, the sitcom. Uh, and from then Blackadder and Bottom. So honestly, role model in terms of sort of comedy wise would be Rick Mail. Uh the best to ever ever do it um so yeah that's sort of that's 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 where I kind of got my inspiration thinking like yeah being being funny is good like this is this is something that I could do so yeah I suppose biggest inspiration would be would be Rick Mail what do you think makes a sort of uh, this is going off topic but what do you think makes I know it's easy answers they make them laugh but what do you think makes a good comedian what do you think makes a great comedian from a good comedian um interesting empathy i think uh i think that like good comedy rises from being able to share your whole self and that whole self being reflected back to you from the audience so like you know something could be funny on its own but something that's really funny touches something that's kind of human you know that we can all recognize within ourselves and i think the, the best comedians are the ones who are able to like tell a story to you and make you feel like it's happening to you. Like Billy Connolly is, is fantastic at this. Um, and he's, you know, there's, there's a reason why he's widely considered the best of all time. <laughs> but yeah, I think that that generally is, I think is where that would come from. That it needs to be, comedy has to be empathetic in order to be truly, truly funny, I think. Okay, that's interesting. We'll, we'll get more into comedy later on, hopefully. My, uh, sure. my next quick fire question to you is, uh, what's the last thing that's on your camera roll? Uh, oh, good question. Uh, I, will, I, I hope will... it's not dodgy, but if it is, feel free to share. Uh, the, <laughs> the, the last thing that's on my camera roll uh, is the TikTok that I made just before we hopped on. Oh, the Zoom. right, okay. <laughs> so yeah, oh, uh, that, yeah. I'm going to publish that once as soon as we're done here. So yeah, it's a 14 second video of me answering the question, how are you? Right. Well, how are you? I'm all right, you know. Yeah. Uh, not to spoil the TikTok or anything. I mean, you uh, but... have, that's a major spoiler right there. Ethan Lawrence spoiler. That's. Well, this isn't going out live, is it? No, it's not. Oh, <laughs> Sorry. Gosh. Don't worry. It's all Woo! right. <laughs> Honestly, it's all right. Don't worry. 
that's all right. So we're not spoiling that because that's going out after this. So we're fine. Imagine, we're fine. Don't imagine worry. the scenes. You'd have all the directors on at you. They'd be going crazy. You'd never get hired again. I'd, I'd, ne- I'd never work in this. I'd never work in this town. You might. You just your, your face would. You'd be blacklisted from acting. In my opinion. Ethan Lawrence and his loose lips. Exactly. That's Constantly. what they'd be calling. It would be. The, 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 I can see the headlines in the the Daily Mirror. Right, Lawrence's loose lips. <laughs> like the Daily, right, Daily Mirror would care. <laughs> I mean, the Daily Mirror would care about a lot of stupid things. To be fair, so I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to be honest. Um, fair enough. <laughs> my uh, my final quick fire question to you is: um, If there was a house fire and everyone made it out alive, but you could only keep one thing, what would that one thing be? Now you can have your phone and your laptop because everyone says phone and laptop. Even though your laptop's a bit dodgy right now, you can have your phone and laptop. Oh, my phone will be in my pocket, so that's fine. Uh, to be honest, we can let the laptop burn. I don't care about <laughs> it. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, I have a box. Um, it's uh, not not a huge box, sort of like you know, you know, like uh, about the size of I don't know, a box box. Uh, yeah, it's about half a foot deep and about uh, two feet long. And in that box are like master scripts, sides, all kinds of things that I've either done for TV stuff from like when I was doing like what well, when I was acting before TV just it's kind of a memory box but all tied to sort of like my career and it's all stashed I think in one or two boxes uh which are pretty easy to get to so I reckon if if everything's on fire I'd nab those because those are absolutely priceless yeah it's interesting you say that because right there are my memory boxes all of them there's three of them right there they're all there that's easy to grab as well just exactly, got to stand up yeah. and nab yeah, like, and they're all like split into so one's primary school, one's high school, and then one sixth form. Sixth form is the smallest because it was only two years. Yeah, um, no, I like the idea of, of things like of memory boxes because you no, know, the best thing is, is you know when you're at that when say you've just completed like you feel like you've completed a part of life of your life, and then you go back and you open one of those boxes. The best feeling ever. It really is like. Um... I mean, I'm sure we'll, we'll probably get into this when we start talking about my history and stuff like that, but. Um... Uh, quite recently, the guy who basically taught me to act uh, when I was doing amateur musical theatre in my teens passed away recently. And um, it was we went. I went through some old programs of some of the shows that I did for him. And again, it was it was it was it was sad in one ways, but nostalgic in other ways. Like looking at like, wow, this is like you know I learned a lot from this guy. <laughs> Look how many credits I've got here. Like it's it was yeah. There's something about memory. There's something about tapping into memory, especially when it's, it's like. I mean, the last time I did a show with him, I would have been 17. So that would have been, what, 11, nearly 12 years ago. Uh, so, you know, so that's a long old time uh, to yeah. sort of be separated from that in terms of history. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's there's, there's something about memories. Like, you know, things can be replaced. Like, you know, I'm looking around my room now. Like, I can get another TV. I can get another PlayStation or whatever. But, like, that old stuff, that, that you know, you got to protect it because there's there's no copies. Those are the only copies I have. Is it a PlayStation 5, though? No, it's a PlayStation 4. I'm not buying a new console until it's got some good games on it. Same. That's what I'm waiting yeah. for as well. I'm waiting for GTA it's, 6. You know, when GTA 6 comes out, then I'll buy a PlayStation 5. That's the only game I'm waiting for. Okay, well, uh, good luck buying a PS5 in 2036. Then. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> but I'm just like, you know what? I'm not going to give in. I'm not buying one until GTA 6 comes out. There's no other game that I want to play. That's the only game I want to play. Um... And that's God it, it, it they need a killer app for me yeah they do because it's not like, worth you know, the money you're spending on it if it's like there's just barely any good games on it um i just don't well, see the point i don't understand like the sorry go on 
No, no, all I said was I just don't see the point of spending so much on it if there's no really solid good games. Well, no, that's it. Like, you know, consoles should be sold in service of the games that are on it, not the other way around. Mm. I've never understood the console war mentality in that regard. Yeah. Because, like, the, the best console is the one that has the best games on it. Like, you know, I, I don't care about your teraflops and your SSDs. Exactly, like, yeah. If you've got a good game, that's great. Well, that's why that's why that's why I've always preferred PlayStation because the PlayStation exclusives. I know we're getting completely off topic, but the PlayStation exclusives are mental. You know, games like Uncharted, Last of Us, they're crazy good games. And I know Xbox have got like Halo and things like that, but I, I just go the PlayStation exclusives for me are better games, so I buy the PlayStation. For sure, same same here. I mean, the the console before that I had an Xbox 360, mm. and that was specifically because I wanted to play Dead Rising. If you remember that, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, so you know, it's I, I chase, I chase, I chase the games, not the console. And like you know, maybe one day, I mean, it'll probably be a year, maybe two years into this generation's lifespan that I'll be looking at the games and going, right, now's the time to take a plunge. Fair enough. Do you game a lot? I'm, 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 I'm a, I'm a big old gamer man. That's me. Oh yeah. What <laughs> game are you playing uh, now? Uh, right now, uh, I'm going through uh, Near Replicant. Uh, I don't think I've a, heard of that. It's it's a remake of a uh, PS3 game from 2010. Uh, um, it's uh, by Square Enix. It's sort of a Japanese RPG thing. Uh, I've been really enjoying it. It's uh, I, I've never played a game in that um, uh, series before. I think there's another one called Near Automata or something like that. Uh, but yeah, I've been really enjoying it. I would recommend it if you have a level of patience for fetch quests. Well, fair uh, enough. There's a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> no, um, I've been enjoying it. Okay, fair dues. Um, my uh, my final question. Well, actually, wait. Have I asked them all? Yeah, I've asked you all more quick questions. I thought I didn't ask you one then. That's um, I thought if, if you had another one, I was ready for it. Um. Uh. So before we sort of get in, get uh, onto the interview and get onto sort of school and and your history, uh, could you sort of introduce yourself to the audience? Uh, sure, no problem. Uh, so uh, I'm Ethan Lawrence. Uh, I've been a professional actor for nearly ten years. Um, that's kind of that's that's been kind of my thing. I, I made a start. Um in a BBC Three sitcom called Bad Education. Uh, I fell into that ass backwards. It was uh, all good luck, which I'm sure we'll get to. And from there, I've just been sort of riding the wave uh, as much as one can as like a jobbing mercenary for hire in uh, in British comedy. Uh, so yeah, 10 years of that in February. Woop woop. And it's, what I think is particularly interesting as well um, with regards to the concept of your podcast is that I was your age when I started. Oh, were you? What, 19? Yeah. When you, what, when you started Bad Education? Yes. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. And as, you know, as I was looking into it, I was like, ooh, there's a, ooh, a parallel. Exactly. <laughs> that full circle now. If you don't mind, so what? So you're 29 now, are you? I'm 29 in September. Hey, you've aged well. I would have said 24, 25. That's the, that's, that's the beauty of having a baby face. I can... I, can, I guess, yeah. <laughs> I, I can, can conceivably play I in my 20s like... for... I look like I'm about 35. I've had 35 before. It's, 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 Ouch. I mean, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't the best. I've had people think that me and my dad are brothers, and he he loves it. He has this smirk. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, yeah, I'm also, you know, when we go to restaurants, I'm the one who speaks, who speaks more. So that also makes it even worse. And they're like, oh, your brother or something. Like that. I'm like, no, he's not my brother. He's my dad. They're like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, he's my dad. And then he gets so happy, and I'm just there like, oh, whatever. Um... No, um, I still get ID'd. Yeah. Half the time. Yeah. 
uh, especially when I've not got a beard because I'm 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 bearded at the minute. But when I when it's shaved down for work, like I I could easily pass for under eighteen. Yeah, I, I work for Morrison's, and um, at Morrison's, when we're on the checkout, we've got to ID anyone that looks under twenty five. I would definitely ID for sure, I, and yeah. you would be right to. I would. I. Uh, it's annoying when they have people when customers start crying about it. Well, I'm like, I've got to do my job. You know how much you can get fined so much if we don't if we get caught not IDing someone that should be ID. We get you get so, you get in trouble so much. Yeah, like thousands of pounds, and then customers have a go at you, and it's just like I'm not risking Ow. getting fined thousands of pounds for no no absolutely know. not like do it <laughs> if i could i would find every, I, would, I would find everyone i would id everyone um <laughs> i genuinely would id because i'm like i just don't want to risk it i don't want to get fined thousands of pounds it's just not worth it and then yeah you get customers but anyway i'm i'm talking about myself too much we're, we're here to talk about you that's good it's, no, no, it's a flow we're getting we, we're bonding <laughs> yeah we're like we're like warming up here yeah um we're warming up and then boom it crashes watch <laughs> Um, anyway, so let's let's talk about you. Let's talk about school then. Before before the whole bad education, bad education. Before acting, what was your sort of school experience like? Uh, pretty good. Uh, I was um I was I was a pretty smart kid. Um, you know I think I think these days we're allowed to say that. Um, I think what helped is that uh my mum was a great reader, so I grew up around books a lot. Uh, so like going into um school, like you know I already had pretty good reading comprehension, and that's like like especially early days in school that's like 50 percent of the journey right there uh so it's was, it was a bit of a swap um i didn't really discover um any kind of sort of performance gene until i got into secondary school uh and i think that's largely because of the reading comprehension thing i was when it came to sort of like your nativities and your school plays and stuff like that i was nature's narrator uh you know i stood there in front of the little uh where they put the songbook stand with the scripts, you know, doing my best enunciation. Yeah, I, I was the exact same. I was the narrator as well. And then, again, I'm sorry I'm interrupting. I was no, the narrator in year five, and then in year six, I was the main character. I was King Arthur. Hell yeah. Uh, that did not happen for me. Uh, I just went, I went I mean, narrator all the way through. You could say that we've had similar acting careers. You, in I many ways. Arthur, you got to work with Ricky Gervais. Like, it's pretty much the same thing. But my prof- my professional acting debut came when I was your age, so you know you never know. There's still time. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, uh, so um, secondary school was when I basically um, found uh, the the sort of the acting and performance bug, largely because that was the first time that drama was actually part of the curriculum. And uh, turns out I really liked it, and they had an after school club. Uh, the first sort of major show that I played a character in. Uh, they were doing sort of like some kind of bastardized version of Snow White featuring mad scientists and all sorts of stuff like that. And I played the scientists, uh, which was, um, which is, you know, it was exhilarating. And like, there was a scene at the end where I had to, like the poison apple had like changed hands all over the place. And I had become into possession of it and take a bite and had to uh, just die on stage. And not really knowing what I was doing, I just hammed it up to the nth degree, like, you know, choking, pleading, all of that. <laughs> jumping around like uh and then collapsing and i got a huge laugh for it and it's, it's, it's sort of almost a cliche when comedians talk about this but like you know getting that laugh you feel it for the first time and you're like i've got this room in the palm of my hands like i am invincible i'm a monster truck that walks like a man <laughs> yeah exactly it was amazing and then from then on i was like right okay so this is this this is something this is viable this is something that i can do uh, so not long after that, um, 
I joined uh, sort of a an after school club, kind of sort of like a stage school thing um, called Stage Ability, uh, which is where I met uh, Gary Sullivan, who I mentioned earlier uh, in the thing. And like we, I learned to act there. Uh, they also had a thing called Essex Group. Uh, I grew up in Essex, I should say, um, where um, it was kind of like a amateur musical theatre company. And from pretty much age 13 through to age 17, I'd be doing the performing arts stuff on one evening. I'd be doing a show on one evening and two other shows across the weekend. So like I completely involved myself in acting and performing to the exclusion of basically everything else. Uh, I've always kind of been that way. I'm uh, I'm an all or nothing kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I pinned my horse to this wagon and like, you know, I was in a number of shows that I was really pleased with. Like, you know, we I did a load of musical theatre. We took one of our shows we actually took to uh, the Waterford Festival in Ireland, uh, which was fantastic. I'd never been to Ireland before. Uh, got to play like loads of Chekhov and Moliere, like just basically just learning my craft. Uh, and I think what I learned from Gary probably most of all is that, yeah, craft is part of it, but also it's graft. Like it's hard work. Like if you, if, if, if you're finding being an actor easy, you're probably not doing it right. And people aren't looking at you with the sort of level of respect that you could potentially be earning, maybe. I don't know. But yeah, that was um, that was basically, I was doing that concurrently with secondary school, where again, I was, I was a good student. Like, you know, I just got my head down. I found I had good time management. So I was able to um, get through uh, with decent grades and with like loads of credits under my belt. <laughs> Uh, before the age of 18 yeah no so so before the age of 18 you had several credits so by credits you mean sort of like roles is that, is that what you yeah mean? yeah yeah so like this was um i mean these were all amateur i should stress but like you know we were you know we were, we were putting on sellout shows in like decent sized theaters like you know there's not a provincial theater in essex that i haven't trod the boards on i don't think um uh, and it was all it was all good, like practical learning experience, because, um, uh, again, I'd probably as we get on to, I'm not actually like professionally trained. You know, I, I never went to drama school. Oh, OK. Um, so like everything I know, I know from experience. Like, you know, I, I know how to work a crowd and uh, stagecraft because I spent a lot of time on stage. I learned how to act for camera by acting in front of camera, which is probably the best way, really. I mean, I would say that. <laughs> because oh yeah why, exactly yeah. the best way is to do it the way i did it that's yes the best look way. how successful and brilliant and talented exactly. and handsome i am <laughs> <laughs> and do the same thing because that's the only way for you to do it of course <laughs> <laughs> yeah no no i get it like if i was what everyone says these days is getting experience is the most important thing and again it's not to dismiss people that do go to drama school or that have gone that that route even with anything that goes go through the academic route rather than the experience route, at the end of the day, we're all on our own journeys. My, well, my, you know, my previous, uh, the previous act that I had on, Callum, he went to drama school. You've not gone to drama school, like, but you've all. The thing is, though, drama school is experience. It's just it's oh, a different yeah. kind of experience. Because, like, you know, with drama school, they they train you up to be sort of like, you know, p- perfect qualified actors ready to take anything on, and like, you know, the. I, the vast bulk of people I've worked with at least have some kind of formal training. Like I'm a, I'm an exception that proves the rule really. Uh, Cause it doesn't, you know, drum school doesn't just teach you like the, the actual skill and craft of acting. It also like, you know, gives you connections. It can set you up with an agent. It can put you in front of people that know how to use you. And so, you know, it's, it's again, it's all, it's all different, but it is all experience. 
so how did you you know uh, uh, how did you get to that point of you know i'm assuming you have an agent now um yeah. uh, you have an agent you got to you've had some in- incredible credits you know badge education after life um and all these other ex- credits that you have yes they were amateur but between the ages of 13 and 18 you were getting all this experience something that a lot of people there hello So, yeah, as I was saying, like, you've got all this, uh, you know, abundance of experience, you've, do, you've done quite a lot, and then, you, you know, you're a successful actor as well, without the drama school background. How did, you, how did you sort of find that? Did you feel like, at any point, did you feel like, oh, I should have gone to drama school? And what advice would you give to someone that maybe couldn't or didn't get into drama school or hasn't gone to drama school and is going through the, the route that, you're, that you went on? Well, it's... <laughs> it's kind of an interesting question because I, I, you know, being sort of like front facing with um, acting and stuff, like I get asked for advice a lot and it's difficult because the, the thing I always say is that I can't really give advice so much as I can give anecdote because my route into the industry was not normal. So, I mean, the best thing to do would be to cut to where I was when I was 18. So, I, you know, I packed up Essex group, I've got my grades and I think to myself, right, time to apply for drama school so I apply I audition I don't get anywhere but I've got, got two universities on my um on my backup where I can study drama uh and in this case I ended up going to Royal Holloway University of London and sorry to study drama creative writing uh there was no plan like you know I, I wasn't you know I, I figured right get a degree in something that I'm interested in and presumably then the work will come uh thanks to Essex Group I had a sort of kind of they kind of had like an agency almost like a cottage industry uh, where I'd get sent up for the occasional thing, but it was nothing like too major. Uh, that was until the second term of my first year at university, where I get an email through from um, from Anne, who was uh, the uh, the lady who was in charge of it all, and said, uh, "Okay, um, Tiger Aspects want to meet you for a BBC Three project." And I'm like, sure, because again, prior to this, it had been like, you know, I, I went up for um, a couple of things sort of floating around that, but nothing too serious. So I was like, OK, well, I'll, I'll go in. I'm not far from London. Uh, so I nip in and like do a read and everything's cool. I go back, I get a call a couple of days later and they're like, they want to see you again. Uh, but this time they want you to meet um, the guy who wrote it, Jack Whitehall. And I'm like, OK, I know who that is. Oh, wow. Like, you know, <laughs> it was sort of delivered sort of like, a, oh, yeah, this up and coming you might not have heard of. And it's like, no, no, we, I know who Jack Whitehall is. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I'll go back to him. And at this point, like, I, I should stress as well, like, I've got long hair, big old straggly beard, because, you know, I was going through my rebellious university phase and decided that I was going to be hideous. That was my, uh, <laughs> that was my thing. I was going to be a dirty little hobo man. Uh, but, um, I rock up a to the audition. Dirty little hobo man. <laughs> I just went in to meet Jack Whitehall as a dirty little hobo man. And literally, he basically t- said, that is perfect. Literally, January, February time. So I was, in a, I was in my big old coat. I had my long hair. I had my straggly beard. Looked in absolute state. Had no, no discipline at all. Like, you know, thinking, oh, this could be a potentially life-changing thing. But then I wasn't thinking about it in those terms. Because, like, you know, I was still in the middle of training. I was still in the middle of, of university. So I was like, well, obviously this isn't, obviously this isn't going to actually happen like you know so perhaps i should have taken it more seriously at the time but then who knows so i rock up and we do i do a chemistry read with jack and like the producer ben cavey's there producer pippa's there and we're like okay that felt all right so i i go go back to university and i'm like i feel a bit kind of poor okay 
And then a day later, I get the call and they're like, you've got the job. And I was like, really? Like, there's not, there must be some kind of mistake, surely. Uh, no. They wanted then, Lawrence Ethan, not Ethan Lawrence. Yeah, it was all a clerical error. Yeah. My entire career is <laughs> it's a clerical just, error. This whole time, everyone just thinks you're uh, Lawrence Ethan, not Ethan Lawrence. I d- it, it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, two weeks later, I was on my first ever professional television show, wondering like how this had happened. Like I was, wow. you know, I was just and um, yeah, and it, looking back on it now, like you know, there's sort of a you have a sort of tendency or an instinct to sort of place a kind of sort of manifest destiny on the idea of it all. Uh, because my alternative university was um, Bath Spa, which would have put me way outside the reach of London on the budget that I had. Yeah. So I probably wouldn't have gone to the audition. And if I hadn't gone to the audition, I wouldn't have got the job. And then, who knows? and like, if I, if I'd gone to drama school, uh, I'm not sure how comfortable they are with you taking auditions while you're still training there. So I may not have been able to do that. So weirdly enough, I sort of ended up in the right. I mean, I'm not a person who believes in fate uh, or coincidence or anything like that. But I do sometimes look back on that. And I was like, I I couldn't have played that better if I tried. And I wasn't trying. So what, mm. what was going on there? <laughs> yeah, no, it is pretty crazy that like how it just it all it, it, it's like it all sort of fell into place almost like the fact that, you know, potentially in drama school, they wouldn't have let you have taken that. Um, that audition if you were in Bath or Bath whatever you want to call it they wouldn't have let you <laughs> take that um, audition or you wouldn't have been able to have gone to that audition it's because you took this sort of route you ended up meeting Jack Whitehall also you had chemistry with Jack Whitehall it could have very well be possible that you didn't have anything with him and for sure it wouldn't have worked out um, I mean that was the thing like it's not usual that like you would have an audition and then like two weeks later you're on set like they were really worried that they weren't going to have someone to play Joe. Oh, okay. And so I was, I was a last ditch effort. Like the, I, I don't know what, if they didn't find the chemistry or they didn't find the right thing, but like every single other cast member was in place. I was the last piece of the puzzle and like, I'd sort of come out of nowhere yeah. and here we go. And yeah, so that was, that was crazy. But, and like, you know, it, it, I, I, I finished it, I made it. And then sort of at the end of that, it was like, right, well that, that was fun. Now back to my studies. You know, I didn't have lost you. No, um, it's, I, I thought I lost you then for a second after you said that. Um, it's crazy technology, the beauty of technology, like I said a million times. Um, uh, I want to ask you about that sort of, that Jack Whitehall moment. Obviously, Jack Whitehall, I mean, even now, he's still, he's still massive. Um, back then, he was massive as well. Um, and you've just been told they, they want you to um, uh, do a reading with Jack Whitehall. How are you preparing for that? And, and, and are you going into that thinking I need to go in, say hello to Jack, maybe have a quick conversation so that I start a bit of chemistry and then when we're reading it's a better chemistry or are you not allowed to do that? How is that whole process like? What is that whole process like? Uh, I mean, back then, like, obviously things have changed now with the the situation that we have with the um, the pandemic. Like, in, in-person auditions aren't really a thing anymore. Um, but back then, I mean, again, I was, I was unprepared and untrained. I didn't really know what I was going in for. Uh, all I knew is that I had this script, so I learned it. Like, you know, that's just good practice. Any actors out there, um, people don't look kindly on you not being off book. Just be off book. Like, just learn your lines. You'll find it a lot easier. You can do a lot better work. Uh, but I was so I was off book and I went in and, like, again, it was... It wasn't that it was rushed. I just sort of think it was... Um, I, th- I think there were a few people sort of vying for the thing. 
so it was kind of come in like you know hey how's it going we sit down and like there wasn't really any time for it like they were on a time frame uh so it was sit down just do the scene and then and then go uh it's, a lot of auditions feel quick like that and um it's 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 consistent across the board i mean i've done hundreds thousands of auditions now and like it's all pretty much like that like you'll go in and it'll be like you've got five minutes to like you know do your thing and in that you've got to not only do the scene but also like you know be good in the room and say hi and shake everyone's hand and rah, 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 rah. and that's essentially what that was I mean in terms of preparation like I said I wasn't really thinking about it in terms of something that this was actually going to happen I suppose I mean it's weird looking back on it I haven't actually I haven't actually thought about it in a long time but I took it was a very silly thing to turn up having not like you know done something to make myself look like a schoolboy. <laughs> yeah instead of uh, it, it was very stupid and uh i certainly wouldn't do it again but yeah uh, that uh, yeah it was odd and like it was weird like uh jack was probably the first like you know celebrity that i i did uh air quotes for everyone by the way because you know is that at the time it was you know he was he was up and comer like you know he'd done live at the Apollo and everyone recognised him as a, as a as a great stand up yeah. but certainly not the Hollywood not dominating yeah. Disney prince that he is now Hollywood dominated Disney prince I'm sure he loves he'd love to be called that well he has been just now by me <laughs> Ethan Lawrence exclusive right there again. you still there. Hello. 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 Yeah. Can you hear me? Uh, I've got you. Yeah, I've got you. Yeah, you're back. I, I, the thing is, I can still hear you. I, you just can't hear me. I mean, you freeze, but I can hear you. Like I hear, I heard you typing away. Um. Anyway. Uh, yeah. I don't know why it's me like this, but uh, I do apologise for it as well. It's, it's um, no problem, mate. That's uh, I've had, watching. I've had these sorts of problems. Hang on, I'm just gonna shut a curtain because that's all. Uh... There we go. Yeah. No. Um. So I can't even remember what we what were we talking about. Oh yeah, uh, about working with Jack. So that that because you said there, it's it's quite quick, right? Everything's quite quick. Is that really frustrating as an actor? Because you know, uh, my assumption is is when you're an actor, you obviously you're working with other people, but you need to actually know them as well before before you work you work on a show. You need to actually you know get into motion, I guess, warm up a little with them beforehand. Uh, is it frustrating that you've only got five minutes? You've literally got to give your all in those five minutes. And you've got to show everything you can in those five minutes. And then it's it's all or nothing at that point. Is that quite annoying? Uh, you get used to it. You get used to it. I mean, um, because it, 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 it's ever been, it's always been thus. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, I don't know any different in terms of sort of in-person auditions. Obviously, things are a lot different now. We, we don't have the in-person auditions and Zoom auditions are rare. So what happens now is that we do what's called self-tapes, uh, where I would set up basically how I'm appearing in this screen now and deliver it to um, either to camera or just off camera uh, with sort of with no feedback from the director or no feedback from a producer. So that's even more sort of dehumanizing in a way. Um, I, I feel desperately sorry actually for actors just starting out like where this is like the only thing that they know. Uh, Cause you know, I pride myself on being good in a room. Like, you know, you learn how to do that quick, especially um, with when in-person things are a thing you think it to yourself again like you've got the five minutes so instead of thinking it as a limitation you need to think of it in terms of right i need to turbocharge every aspect of what i'm doing yeah exactly so that i'm absolutely 
myself and I look like I'm a good team player. This is why it's good to learn your lines as, before you go in as well. Like I've seen people like, you know, walk in with holding their script. And I'm like, what, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> it's, it's mental. Like, mm. but yeah, it's, it's all sorts of different things. But um, yeah, in terms of sort of, oh, you, you get used to it so fast. I mean, even now we're sort of in the new normal times and like, you know, I don't, I, I barely think about how sort of, you know, how much you have to put into a self-tape. Because like, you know, now that we, now, now that casting directors are sort of separated by, from us by one degree, like we've had like actors have had to become cameramen yeah. and in terms of like voiceover artists which you know I do, I do voiceover as well I've had to learn how to become an audio engineer and these are all good skills don't get me wrong it's just uh, stuff that like we didn't have before that we've had to learn how to get good at uh in order to stand out in a crowded field it's like it's the entire world now though like say if you apply for a job you need to know how to do social media now all of a sudden for sure. you need to know how to do this that and the other even you know as an actor you're a sports person you need to know how to do social media now you have to be on social media there's no big sports there's no up-and-comer or big big sort of public figure that's not on social media now you have to be on social media you have to make your life somewhat public now the only comedy performer that i can think of that's sort of of this generation that has completely gotten rid of social media is james acaster Oh yeah, and but he was on it, like you know he, you know, as he was on the up and up, he was on it and built an audience that well, way. He's, like you know, he's built an audience, but he is now well known. So I guess you yeah. don't, when you when you're at that point, you don't really need to. Obviously, it helps, sure, but you don't need to. But whilst if you're an up and coming actor uh, and you're you know your first few roles, I feel like you do need to, uh, and especially if you're starting to establish yourself in anything, not just as acting, in anything, you need to have social media now. You need to show that. Uh, you you've got something about you that you know you're you're, you're brandable or whatever the word is and and, and you know. it's absolutely the case like you know bef- I, I mean I, I'm actually a, I'm a fan of it in a way like because time was where like you know celebrities were sort of viewed as this kind of sort of almost mythic godlike creatures yeah you know moving around in universes that we couldn't possibly understand but like now it's like yeah you could they've got a Twitter now, like, you know, like, yeah. you know, they're, we can see their humanity, which I think is better. Uh, in some cases it's better. In some cases, some celebrities, I think need to shut the fuck up. But <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. Who, who was that a dig at? Who was that a dig at? Oh, it could be a lot of people, couldn't yeah. it? I'll Come on, tell. Ethan, you know what you want to, go on, give us, give us a- All right, okay, I will, I will give the big example, the big example, because it's the one that everyone, it was such a nexus point of celebrity, please be quiet. And it was Gal Gadot and all her oh. celebrity friends singing Imagine right at the beginning yeah. of the pandemic. Oh, that was so... I'm not sure if everyone remembers that. Go back and look it up if you haven't. It oh, everyone must remember that. It is cringe-inducing. It was. It it's was like a... all these celebrities in like their big palatial manners being like, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. And it's like, oh, oh you don't yeah, get no. it, man. Because... Because they got inspired because they saw like Italians singing, like normal Italians outside yeah. their thingy, you know, when they were quarantining, the, right at the beginning. They, and I think they were like, oh, you know what, we'll do it. And it was just awful. It was just like, what are you? Who who looked at that and said, you know what, this is a good idea. Let's do this. This isn't patronizing at all. We'll just sing along and say that everything's going to be okay. It, yeah, I remember that. that that's a good, that's a good, good shout out. But in a way, it did, it did in a way humanize them. Because it also mm. showed that, like, they're capable of making mistakes. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, normally there's, especially around really high-profile A-listers like that, there's a PR team sort of 
ready to go into disaster mode whenever something like that happens. Mm. Uh, and so it was, it was kind of fascinating to see sort of like the peak behind the curtain as we realised, do you know what? We're all going crazy in quarantine. We're all we are, we're yeah. all losing our minds. I guess that's what the pandemic has done, though. Like it, it's affected everyone so much. You know, a- anyone can die. Anyone can get it. Um, and it's just sort of hit that realisation of, oh, wait, actually, you know, we are all the same. It doesn't matter if you're rich, poor, whatever. We can all we can all get this disease and we can all, you know, suffer from it immensely from death to just getting ill or, or to not, not suffer it at all, get no causes. It's a, a weird, weird disease. And uh, I think the pandemic, in a way, it hasn't been good, obviously, but in a way it has definitely taught us things that, lessons that we haven't, we hadn't yet learned yet or we've forgotten almost. I would agree. I mean, you know, not to, not to woe is me about it, but like, obviously the arts were hit really hard mm. by this, still yeah, are being hit ask, hard. Because yeah. like in terms of, like in terms of TV and film, we were out for nine months. Wow. Which is a long time, like, to not be making anything. And, like, now everything's sort of in, in catch-up mode. Like, which is great for, like, people who are, like, established and ready to go because there's parts of plenty. Like, weirdly enough, 2021 has been one of the busiest years of my career, despite the pandemic. Um, but, like, theatre is still struggling. Like, and it will continue to struggle until, like, we can we can work out some kind of some kind of system whereby if someone gets pinged, they don't have to shut the whole show down. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, what, what, I'm, what I'm seeing. And it's, 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 it's frightening, but you know, I suppose if, if it taught us anything, like, especially in the arts is that this is all, I mean, a lot of us knew this anyway, but this is all so very fragile and can like disappear in an instant. Like, you know, I'm sure as we get onto more career stuff, I will tell you about my years in the pizza delivery wilderness. That'll be a pizza delivery wilderness. <laughs> Oh yes. Oh, okay. Twenty eighteen through twenty nineteen was not a good year for your boy. Right. Well, we're gonna. Well, that's what we're gonna have to ask about then. The, what is this pizza delivery wilderness that you that that you mentioned here? Right. Uh, so uh, I, I, I don't know if we're gonna jump around. So what I will say is, bad education took me all the way through uni. I was represented by that point, and like you know, started my smash and grab raids on UK British uh, comedy scene, hitting yeah. everything, doing great. Like 2015 was great, 2017 was great, everything's looking great. 2018 starts, there's no work. I am fast running out of money. <laughs> and why, like, why is there no work? It just happens sometimes. Like the <laughs> right parts don't come along at the right time. Like it's just a, a fellow period can pop up at any moment in an actor's career. That's one thing in terms of advice that I would always give to people who want to make it in this industry, which is be prepared to starve. Because like times can because the work is so inconsistent like it's difficult to build a financial plan around sort of anything like that it's it's a struggle and in this particular case it was like right i have rent to pay like you know i have i have a a house to maintain like you know i can't like you know hang on it's it's time to go do some work so uh i went and got a job as a pizza delivery man uh which was supposed to be like a stopgap for maybe three months until the next thing came along but then ended up being a whole year and like you know again i'm not complaining because you know i i i I know what this industry is like you know i'm I'm under no illusions that like you know when you're living paycheck to paycheck all it takes is one missed paycheck and everything goes away uh and i certainly learned a lot because that was realistically that was my first experience of like actually working you know not to say that acting isn't work but like you know this was like i was about to say an actual job but that sounds harsh as well Well, no Um, you, you understand what I mean. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. That's, 
in lieu of other words, that's a perfect way to describe it. Like, you know, it's working like gig economy, minimum wage, uh, taking every every work hour God gives you. Yeah. Uh, And yeah, like I said, it was supposed to be like a stopgap for three months, but ended up being an entire year. When you had that phase or when that phase was coming, was there a point after the sort of, you know, doing extremely well with education, doing, you know, having loads of sort of um, different roles happening from then until until the the delivery driving fiasco? Um, (laughs) Was there a point when that happened? Did you think, why the hell is this happening to me? I've just done so well. Like, did your ego get, did it boost your ego so much? And then all of a sudden came crumbling down. Or were you always aware of this could like any moment? For sure. That, that, that's the thing. Like, you know, this always can end. And like any, any actor who gets into this thinking, I'm going to be fine forever, needs a reality check and quick. Like, you know, I, I don't feel like I'm owed a career in this industry. Like, you know, I, I've, you know, no, no one deserves to, you know, uh, belong to the upper echelons of the acting community but like you know I can't deny that it was a confidence hit um, especially as like the weeks turned into months turned into a year and it was like I mean I'm going to be forgotten like you know because because everything moves so fast especially nowadays with like digital and streaming like you know a show can go up and like be a huge hit and then vanish remember Tiger King yeah like everyone was talking about that for like a week and now where is it no one yeah no one talks about it now and so like I was very aware like in sort of <laughs> almost in terms of mortality I guess I was aware that the shelf life of my acting career was about to was on the way to expiring because the longer I'm away from screens the longer um well, well you know the more chance that like you know that momentum that I started to build had gone um but this would be a very good segue uh by the way this would be a very good segue to start talking about afterlife yeah, well, I mean, well, uh, let's, let's, let's talk about Afterlife then. So you had this sort of, uh, I keep on calling it different things, but this, you were a delivery driver for a year, okay? And now I'm assuming that after the delivery driving uh, after the delivery driver job, you got a role at, um, on the show Afterlife, is that right? Well, it's uh, slightly, the uh, chronology is slightly off. So season one of Afterlife was the last job that I did before um, delivery driving. Oh, okay. Uh, and that was the one where um, I was only in uh, one episode. And not only was I only in one episode, I was only in one scene. And that was just sticking recorders up my nose, bish, bash, bosh. It was a couple of hours. Yeah. Uh, a couple of hours work. And um, so, you know, I'd done that. And because it was such a small part, I was like, that was great. That was fun. Like, you know, I got to meet Ricky. I got to meet Tony Way. I got to meet Joe Hartley. Like, you know, I got to work on a Netflix show. That's cool. Uh, but, you know, that'll, that, that'll be the end of that, probably. Uh, and it was only around the summer and autumn of 2019 when I was already, like, you know, fast approaching uh, getting my gold clock at the pizza delivery. <laughs> um, One year anniversary. Uh, where they get the, uh, where I got the call and they were like, yeah, um, not only do we want you to come back, we also have massively increased your part. And I was like, okay and then like I got sent through the scripts and I started to read them and I was like holy shit I'm like a series regular now like I've gone from a bit part cameo to like big part all six apps which was crazy and like you know I will forever be like at two points in my career I have to thank Jack Whitehall for setting me up on the path and in this particular case I have to thank Ricky for 
like seeing something in me that made him think this kid can go. So what was um, that the case? Did he did he see what what you'd done in season one and go, I want this guy to be a regular? I mean, I've never asked because it almost feels like gauche to ask. Yeah. But yeah. like you know, it must be something like that because I, yeah, because it's a it's, bit it's odd. his baby. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's exactly. not like he wouldn't have he wouldn't have put my part back in it to that degree if he didn't think that I would be able to a do it and b be like a credit to the show. And yeah, no, like like you said, it is. It's a bit odd to all of a sudden have one scene, but then now all of a sudden be in six episodes as well. Again, it doesn't happen. Just like my route into the industry, it doesn't happen. Like, it's not supposed to be this way. Yeah. But whatever I did for the chemistry I had with Joe, the chemistry I had with Tony, whatever happened was enough for that to go. And like, you know, so all the negotiations happened and I was looking at it and I was like, I can quit pizza delivery to work on this. And hopefully something else will happen off the back of it. Because like, you know, this is season one had been out for a while and like you know it, it hoovered up all the awards it was like you know breaking records all over the place and i was like well this is this this is this is my chance this is my shot like you know if i'm able to impress in this great and then that takes us to the beginning of 2020 uh when all of these auditions start to come in and they're they're all great i'm doing dubbing work for netflix i land a job uh on uh, horrible histories and i'm oh, like whoa. this is it we're going this is fantastic I checked the dates uh, when I'm on this for an email. Um, I secured the job on Horrible Histories on the 18th of March, 2020. Oh, wow. Five so days later, everything shut down. Yeah. I was just about to say, that's literally right at the end. So did you not do it then? Uh, we've just literally finished on it a couple of weeks ago. Wow. So like yeah, a year and a half it was, later. It was on the shelf for 16 months. and um, But yeah, we, we, um, we finally got it done. And I'm glad they remembered me. Uh, and that sort of ties into 2021 because not only did I do that, but like we had the continuity for um, Afterlife as well because I've um, filmed season three this year as well. Uh, so you know, as I say, it's like 2021, despite everything that's going on, like it's been it's been a pretty good year for me. I can't lie. I mean, yeah, you you, you mentioned how it was sort of busiest um, busiest time 2021 despite the pandemic. I want to yeah. go back a little bit because you, sure. you spoke about how. Um, you know, all of a sudden you'd been told you're getting these six episodes, you're going to be on every episode um, after having just been on one scene. Um, what was that feeling like? Having gone through the, you know, building up a huge CV, building, having loads of credits, then having the massive, you know, downfall of, you know, or it's only going to be three months delivery driving or six months, nine months, now a year. And then now all of a sudden you're back on working with Ricky Gervais, major role on the Netflix show. What was that feeling like when you were told, when you saw the script and how often you're going to be on, where you're like, holy crap, I'm back, baby. It pulled me out of a slump. Like, you know, because I, I, I'm making it sound like it was worse than it was. Like, I enjoyed the work, uh, the pizza delivery. Um, like, you know, I had fun with it. And like, you know, I learned a lot. And like, you know, I learned what a key performance indicator is. Uh, so that's, that's always good. Um, and like, you know, I did enjoy it. But at the same time, at the back of my head, I was like, what if I end up here forever? Like, you know, because this that, that could reasonably happen. Like, I'm going to have to, I mean, obviously I'll put the work in and I'll be the best regional manager this uh, this company's ever had. <laughs> but um, at the back of my head, it was always thinking, but this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, you know, I, 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 I'm an actor. This is, this is, this is what I want to do. 
And so when it came through and it was like, here's your route out, like, here's your golden ticket. Much the same way that it was when I landed the bad education role. Like, you know, I was looking at it and I was like, this has just been handed to me. It's been handed to me on a platter and this shouldn't happen. (laughs) So it was a mixture of incredulity and like overwhelming happiness where I was thinking to myself, I did something right. Like, you know, I, I clearly impressed the right people. I did what I needed to do. And here we go. We're away. I think, you, I don't know if anyone's ever said this to you, but I think, I mean, uh, obviously I'm sure it's because you're a great actor, but I think it's also because you've got this ability to just talk to people as if you've known them for so long. Like when I started speaking to you on this podcast, I was there, like, I feel like I already knew it was going to be a good podcast. Or at least for me, I'm going to enjoy this podcast because I was there, like, this guy already seems like he's high energy and just excited and happy. And then even before, like or, or when, when I messaged you on Twitter, you were, I think you messaged me last night and be like, I'm looking forward to it or whatever. And I was there like, we've got like hours left or something like that. Just like yeah. joking around. And then um, um, and then the whole thing with Jack Whitehall, how after, you know, five minutes working with him, he clearly saw something in you. And then again with Ricky Gervais, he clearly saw something with you. I think you've got an ability to basically make, basically you should have good vibes about you and you make people happy when, you're speak, when they're speaking to you. And I think that's one of the reasons why people want to work with you. Again, why Ricky was there like, you know what, I want this guy. I've got this good feeling about this guy when I talk to him. Uh, I, I appreciate that. And, like, you know, I suppose it ties into what I was saying earlier, that I pride myself on being good in the room. Like, you know, if I'm able to, like, communicate with someone face-to-face, or in this case, screen-to-screen, like, you know, I feel like that's one of my skills. Like, I'm, 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 I'm good at that. Like, you know, I, 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 I joke sometimes when I'm, like, making videos for TikTok and stuff like that, but, like, I get the question, like, what would you do if you weren't an actor? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't have any skills outside of skills that would be useful for being an actor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, it's, again, it's, it's, all, it's all part of the skill kit, I guess. Um, but I know I really appreciate that. That was a really nice thing to say. Um, no, honestly, I, I, yeah, no, I do mean it. Um, I, I, and as someone who, oh, uh, when you spoke earlier about how when you get that laugh, you, re- you feel everyone in the palm of your hand. I'm not a comedian. I'm not an actor, even though I was King Arthur in a year six play, main character. I'm going to just saying. Um, uh, Talk of the town well. still. Anyway, uh, and I had a big shiny sword. But anyway, that's not the point. Um, I know what that what I know what that feels like because I, I've done a lot of public speaking in the past, like probably in front of like 100, 200, 250 people maximum. Uh, and when you're writing the script for your public speaking, there are points that you purposefully you know that if they laugh at that point, you're doing something right, or if they give a certain reaction, right, you're doing something right. And so I, there's been a few times where, I, where I've done it and they've laughed and I understand that feeling you get when you're like, now this is my read. It's like all of a sudden your hand is open, they all crumble in and then you just like that. And Feel all of a sudden small. you've got everything. And so I get that. But and so the reason why I said what I said about you having this sort of likable personality and being able to do well in a room is I just want to ask you, what do you think, uh, what do you think makes you good at being able to work a room if that makes sense being able to sort of come across as someone likable and whatever like there has to is there something that you sort of try and come across as or or do or act in a certain way or is it just sort of natural you just let your natural personality come out I mean it's it's possibly a combination of both I mean one of your quickfire questions when we spoke about comedy right at the beginning uh, I spoke about empathy mm. And like, you know, not I'm not all any of that wooey bullshit, like, oh, I'm an empath. But like, you know, <laughs> it's not hard to take interest in people. And I think a lot of people 
feel like people don't take interest in them if that makes sense and so like if you it, all it takes is just to ask a question and like you know actually respond to it without sort of like you know um what do they call it uh active listening you know <laughs> you just say like uh-huh yeah yeah uh-huh, uh, yeah, yeah actually taking <laughs> actually taking an interest in it and i think that's you know that's an easy way to be personable uh but i mean i, I suppose to a degree it is it is a natural instinct i mean it's kind of odd because there's a and i think you'll you'll hear this from a lot of actors there's a strange sort of dichotomy in our in our hearts which is that obviously we're all massive attention seekers and like love all eyes on us but we're also paradoxically really shy and so like you know i'm not that great with strangers one of the weird things about it is that if i'm in a professional setting i can like storm in and be like the bell of the bull and like you know leave them like rick mail in blackadder series two like he's only on screen for three minutes but you can't think about anything else like so that's 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 when i go in but like in a in a public facing arena like I remember the first time I got noticed, I was mortified. Like well, the first time I was recognized for bad education, I was mortified. I went home, I was shaking. Why? And like, because uh, I'm not good with strangers. And like, I felt, I felt off my guard because I hadn't sort of like, you know, built up the, the psychological armor to be like, right, okay, this is me getting a job, in I go. <laughs> um, uh, and like, you know, it does get easier. Like, you know, again, it's all, it's all practice. And I suppose there, to a degree, there is a kind of, I don't, I don't want to say a falseness, but like, you know, there is sort of like a, a, a mask that you put on to feel confident in yourself. And like, you know, when I, when I get recognized now, it's far easier because I can like, you know, I can crack a joke, I can crack wise. And like, you know, it's, it makes it feel more, like more of like a, a, a moment. But um, I mean, outside of that, it's, I'm, I'm still a shy guy, I'm afraid. Still very much a shy guy. No, I guess that's you, and it, and it makes you who you are. Like, at the end of the day, that's, that's, what, that's what, what you are. And I think everyone's got that element of where they excel in certain areas and, and maybe they're a bit shy, more shy in other areas. But if they get used to that situation, then they get better, like, you know, you with fan interactions. Um, I like to think of it as phone voice. You know, a lot of people have a phone voice for oh, when they're, okay, like, yeah. talking to someone official or anything like that. Mine's just a full scale version of that, I guess. Like, you know, as, as soon as I sense a fan interaction starting to happen, I'm like, right, phone body, here we go. <laughs> and it's away. I mean, it's not, not so much that it's fake because it's still like, you know, it's still me, it's still communicating. I'm not trying to pretend to be something that I'm not. But in to, to, to the same degree, it's also not the version of me that I would react to a stranger coming up to them, which is to get really anxious and nervous and not be able to think about anything else for the next week. Mm. What is that? What's that like? That that I know you said the first time was, you know, you're shaking afterwards, but what's it like for someone to be like, oh, you're the guy from Bad Education. You're the guy from Afterlife. What, what, what's that? What, what is it like? Because for a normal person, I don't, we don't have a clue. I mean, it's, it's, it's nice because... 99.9999999% of the time it people approach you because they have enjoyed your work and that, that's flattering and it's nice and like one of the things that I found I mean I only joined TikTok recently but one of the things that I found is that there's such, still such a huge community of bad education fans who are like fascinated by it and like fascinated by the people who are in it and it is flattering and like you know it's it, it you, you sort of I, I suppose it's good that I'm kind of shy with it because I think it would be very easy to like let your head start to inflate with people telling you you're great all the time <laughs> um, but 
you know, it is it is nice and it is flattering. And like, you know, by and large these days, I mean, obviously what with everything shutting down and people going out less, like, you know, it hasn't happened as much and it's been a nice reprieve. But like, you know, even if it's just a small thing, like, you know, someone spots you and they're like, oh, can I have a photo? The whole thing will take 10 seconds at most. And you walk away from it, or at least I walk away from it, thinking to myself, that was 10 seconds out of my day. And they'll probably be like in a good mood for the rest of the evening. Mm. So I've, I've done a good thing today. That's I'm karmically balanced yeah, uh, no. for, for the week. Have you had any sort of, you said 99.9999999% of the time is a good one. Have you had any sort of bad fan interactions or? So yeah. this is going to make it sound like I was being a dick and I wasn't right. Because I, I, I think this is fair. Um, so one of the things that I don't like, and this, this, this really has only happened once or twice. And it is the ones that I'll refer to here, which is like, if I'm clearly in the middle of something like eating a dinner or having a conversation or something like that, like don't barge in, you know what I mean? Don't be like, oh, and this is, there was this one situation uh, where I was eating uh, dinner with a friend. Um, uh, this was, um, this must have been what, uh, 2014, 2015. Um, and like, you know, we were, we were talking, I hadn't seen him for a while. And like, you know, we were laughing and joking and like, we had literal food in front of us. And then someone came up and was like, oh, can I have a photo? And I was like, uh, more than happy to, would you mind if I finish eating first and like, I'll, I'll, I'll come find you? And he was like, oh, you think you're too good for me? And I was like, oh, here we go. So <laughs> at this point- How I, do they get to that conclusion? Let the man eat. I just, I just disengaged from it at that point. But like I said, that, that happens so rarely. I mean, that was probably the last time it ever happened. And that was like, what, seven years ago. So it's, it's fine. I mean, I, I find that um, bad education, especially the afterlife um, fans, tend to be a very gentle and decent folk. <laughs> because, uh, with bad education, and particularly with afterlife, it requ- it's like it requires a certain person to watch it, like almost. Like, to, so it, yeah, because it's not like, it's not a show for everyone, I don't think. But it is a show for the people that do watch it. It's sort of one of the ones where you watch it. Like I just started. I haven't. I haven't. I've not even finished season one. Um, I, <laughs> so it's it's almost. I feel like, and based on what I've heard about Afterlife in particular, it is a show where I don't know how to say this, but in a nice way, but where like the decent people watch it, where they want good comedy and they're decent humans almost. And like they agree with a lot of what sort of Ricky Gervais often comes out with uh, about, you know, things like uh, uh, freedom of speech or whatever, or about things like um, uh, listening to one another and um, celebrities uh, virtue singing or whatever. They're that sort of group of people. They're not going to go crazy. They're quite empathetic. I don't know. Maybe I'm just generalizing too much. I probably am. But I do feel like that's the sort of people I think it's a fair comment, and especially because the show itself is also largely about grief, Mm. which, again, like, speaking about empathy, again, like, we're we're back here talking about this. Like, you know, it's grief is universal. And I think that's why Afterlife touched so many people, in a way. Uh, Because, you know, even if you haven't lost someone yourself, you know someone who has. Like, you know, loss is a is a part of the human experience it's a it's a devastating part of the human experience but there's also comedy to be found there there's also joy to be found there and like you know i I think if you if you walked away from afterlife like not having felt anything like i i I don't know what to say to you do you know what i mean like i something wrong with you like because 
either you laugh or you cry or both. I just, I don't know. I just think it's a very, it's a very interesting show in that regard mm. because it's, it's tearing at something which is so personal and hard to deal with, but in a way that feels universal, which I, you know, I, I think is lovely. And I think people who enjoy that recognize that. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Do you, uh, do you watch, do you have you, so you, do you watch it all back before everyone else does or do you watch it as everyone else watches it? Uh, so generally when it comes to sort of like things for a screening, uh, they will show one, maybe two episodes. It's sort of like a, um, a, a, like a hotel or something in, um, in uh, London's West End and then we'll all have a piss up afterwards. Um, so I won't see like the whole series. Um, the closest that I'll get to sort of seeing a lot of it is when um, uh, we have to do something called ADR, uh, which is uh, automatic dialogue replacement, where essentially if um, a shot in a scene was like, good but like there was a sound issue like you know maybe a mic scraped or a plane flew overhead and we just need to get the clean audio um you'll go into a studio and basically dub over yourself oh, okay uh, almost like karaoke but for lines of dialogue that you said weeks ago <laughs> um and like i love doing adr because like it will be a random collection of scenes like a line or two here or there and it's like oh i, I can see the assembly footage yeah. I can see how it's coming together. But um, no, for the most part, like for the whole bulk of the program, for the entire thing, I won't see it until it actually comes out and everyone else is seeing it at the same time. Oh, okay. No, I was just, I was just wondering. I just wondered how it, how it sort of goes because obviously when it comes to movies, you get those sort of premieres where you can watch it. But with this TV series, you can't watch it all in one go. It'll take you hours upon hours. So yeah, I, that's I was it. wondering how it would sort of work. Would you sort of get given a, 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 a tape where you can watch it or whatever? So, yeah, no, I, I, I was, that, that, it was just a random question that I thought of. Um, no, that's a good one. In terms of sort of like movies, like, you know, the, the premiere is also generally the time uh, where it's usually very close to the date of release anyway. Mm. And so, like, you know, especially, I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm no expert on it. I've only done three films. <laughs> but, um, like, you know, it's, the, the premiere is sort of not only a lot of, it's not only a chance for, like, the cast to see how the whole thing came together, but also there will be, like, civilians in there <laughs> who have never seen it before either. Civilians. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I said not that. Not members I was, of the public. I was trying to... I, <laughs> Members of the public was what I was trying to say. That was what I was thinking of. That was what was at the back of my head. I didn't get there in time. My tongue went too fast and I said civilians, which, <laughs> which makes me sound like an elitist yeah. piece of shit. <laughs> the civilians, the common the, folk. The, the common. fucking normies coming yeah. in the cinema. <laughs> we've got to sit next. We've got to share the same air as them. Oh my god, no, we were in we were in the box, darling. Oh, we were you in were the... in the box. We don't share the same air. Behind a curtain. We've got to look at their faces when they come. Because <laughs> when, when you came out with civilians, I was like, that is not the right word. No, and I'm fully aware of it. And you should absolutely keep this in and show oh, me up. No, I am there. Everything's very stiff. Oh, just, oh, we're not cutting a single thing. <laughs> oh, I'm not cutting anything. This is even this the is tech gonna... issues. Oh, oh. But yeah, the te everything stays in, honestly. I am an amateur editor, yeah. Do you know how long it would take me to edit out all those tech issues and make them a smooth transition? It was just better just to leave them and it just worked <laughs> like that. Honestly, I tried doing it. I tried cutting it and it came out so badly. I was just like, this is awful. I'm just going to keep it in. And it just, it works so much better if you just keep it in. Makes it feel and, more alive. Yeah. More, Honestly, <laughs> makes it feel live. If, if you watched, if you, if you heard uh, Ethan say civilians, then comment down below civilians. <laughs> right just comment the word civilian because i just want to know how many people got to this point 
Because that was brilliant. Civilians, I don't know why hashtag I can't cancel Lawrence. Oh, I forgot what I was going to say. Oh, yeah. So I, I want to ask you just a few more questions. Uh, Netflix. So obviously, Black Earth, uh, Afterlife is a, is a Netflix show. Is um, And Netflix is, is kind of a new thing, I guess. Um, what what is is there a sort of difference between the way they do their shows? Because more and more, I'm seeing more and more amazing shows that Netflix is coming out with. And I'm speaking with my uh, with that Netflix exclusive shows. I was speaking to one of my cousins, and I was speaking about how Netflix are coming out with some amazing shows. Eventually, everything on Netflix is going to be Netflix stuff um, because of how good this stuff is. Um, is there is, is do they do things differently, or is it pretty much the same? It's just I guess owned by a different company, uh, owned by a different company. What, what's that like? And, and do you think that it will get to a point where essentially everything on Netflix is going to be Netflix owned because they're so good at it? Uh, so I, I didn't notice anything on a moment to moment basis. Um, like, you know, making a sitcom is like, it's not, not, that the, not that it's formulaic, but there is a formula. Like there's a way of doing things. Mm. And like Ricky has shot his shows pretty much the same way since all the way back in like extras days. Uh, so he knows what he's doing and it's more of a Ricky show than it is a Netflix show if that makes sense yeah yeah um so it you know it it felt like making a sitcom which is something that I'm very used to I can't speak to sort of like the larger productions like your Bridgertons or anything like that because they won't let me anywhere near those they're like no stay in your lane uh (laughs) but um and for the second half of your question I would imagine so I mean we're now looking at a situation where like streaming services are it's it's you know not so much that they're going to be replacing terrestrial tv but like you know for a global audience that's going to be the vast bulk of how people interact with um with with art now and with the rise of of amazon with the rise of amazon prime but especially the rise of disney plus i think it behooves netflix to start producing their own content which they have done like you know at, at a great pace as well um Obviously, um, losing the nine months to the pandemic didn't help, but then like they're in overdrive at the minute, as far as I'm aware, in terms of sort of like um, in terms of projects, uh, because, you know, it, not that Netflix ever had like a monopoly over streaming, but the, so they were sort of like the first ones that were there. Uh, then Amazon came along, then Hulu and everything like that. Uh, but because it's not a one horse race now, like I think all of them, uh, Amazon, Disney, uh, Netflix, they're all going to be working as hard as they can to keep as much fresh content um, uh, coming through. Yeah, no, and 100%. there's only so much you can do with buying up old properties. Mm. I think um, that's the thing. Yeah, I, I think having more than one definitely helps and has almost made Netflix go, you know what, we need to start making more things and better things. And that's what you're getting now. There's so many TV shows out now, and it's just like I've got a list of shows that I want to watch. Because I, I just I, and I don't like watching more than one at once. I like watching one no, at a time. Fair. So it's like because then I I, don't, I just don't like it. So it just takes me ages to get through. even BBC BBC iPlay. I've got some solid TV shows as well. So it's like you've got all these shows that are incredible, uh, and it's obviously it's great to see. Um, I want to ask you just a few more sort of questions. Um, that other people have sort of uh, asked. Um, one of the ones. What's your best and worst? Uh, What's the best and worst part in working in entertainment? Uh, so the, the the best part is for me, I mean, this, this sounds, again, this sounds like so trite, almost like a kind of cop-out answer, but genuinely the best thing about working in entertainment is that the thing that I love the most and the thing that I'm the best at, I get paid for. Like 
so few people in this world can genuinely mm-hmm. say that like their art and their love is also their job and i'm immensely grateful for that and always will be uh, so that's probably the best thing the worst thing i mean we spoke about it in terms of um uh, the, the the wilderness years the worst thing is that it's not a consistent thing and like you know i i do get tired sometimes of worrying <laughs> about like you know when the next job's going to come and where the next paycheck's coming from you know it's it's probably not great for the mental health that like you know every audition i'm like clawing at it clawing at it and thinking to myself this has to be the one this has to be the one because rent's going out in a few weeks and i've got to get there <laughs> um so yeah that's probably my, my least favorite part of working in the entertainment industry is the fact that it is a it is an unforgiving bitch the entertainment industry i bet it <laughs> um, is yeah uh, so, but I mean, you know, things are, th- things I think are changing in a lot of ways in the entertainment industry. Like there was a recent um, thing that came out from Equity, the Actors Union, uh, where some guidelines have been put in place for the production of self-tapes because there's been a number of times where you'll get sent through an email saying, oh, can you do this self-tape? And you'll have like 24 hours to do it. And like, you know, that sounds like a long time, but in those 24 hours, like you might get it at five o'clock in the evening. Uh, and then you've got to learn all the dialogue, set up the camera, film it, edit it, send it off, and all within 24 hours, during which time, presumably at some point, you've got to sleep. And so for uh, for the longest time, like, you know, especially as the pandemic really started to hit, like, a lot of actors were like, this this is untenable. You can't be expecting us to ask, like, start, uh, learn three pages worth of script and then have, like, a perfect casting coming out. But Equity have put guidelines in place now that, like, there is, like, an agreed upon uh, amount of time that a self-tape can be sent yeah. out for and like, you know, covered for weekends and covered for bank holidays, which is, you know, it's small steps just to making the industry a less stressful place, I think. Well, it does seem like that. Well, that is my, that is one of the other questions that people ask is, is it seems like very much as, as good as it, as it does sometimes seem on the outside. It also, especially based on what people have heard, the acting industry does seem like it's a very stressful time. You know, you mentioned earlier about how you don't know when you're getting your next paycheck at points. Um, but just in general, um, with it's quite, it seems quite ruthless. Like, um, and Oh, it absolutely you, is. Uh, like, you know, because, yeah. you know, I, I phrase it sometimes as saying that I've had more job interviews than a lot of people have had hot dinners. Like if you view each individual audition as, uh, as essentially a job interview, like, you know, obviously you you've applied for jobs in 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 your life and you know that like you know they're drawing from a wide pool that will eventually get narrowed down 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 uh but like with acting it's that all the time like every single thing you go up for you're thinking to yourself right this email must have gone to 100 200 other actors and after the next round it'll be down to 50 and after the next round it'll be down to 10 all the way down to one and that's all the time so like you know it's, it is ruthless in the sense that it is absolutely dog eat dog. And like, you know, as, as much as you think to yourself, well, it would be lovely to give uh, uh, um, people a boost and like, you know, really get into the industry. I'm also thinking to myself, yeah, but I've got to pay my rent. So- Don't get into the industry. Do not yeah, get so into the industry. My advice is no one should be an actor except for me. Uh, no uh, so- 
So no, none of you civilians out there do not try and become like one Stop of them. Stop it! Yeah? None of you... I'm already ashamed. Stop. It's the best word. It is honestly the best. It's like one of the one of the best things that's happened on this podcast, which it was just I don't even know. I don't know why I found it so funny. It's the fact that you use that word. Um yeah, so civilians don't try and become an actor. Oh my god. <laughs> Sound like such a bastard. Oh man, because it, it just it contradicts everything that you're like. As in, like this whole part, like this whole time, you come across as like this, you know, down to earth kind of guy, you know, humble and whatever. And then when you came out as civilian, it just was that like <laughs> this guy's I'm, been acting the whole time. I'm so ashamed oh, of myself. Brilliant. <laughs> um, what else have I got here? I've got a few others. What's it like? What What was it like working with Ricky Gervais the first time, and then when you became a regular as well? Uh, so it was. You hear rumours about how Ricky likes to run his set, which is uh, gem- generally a, a standard working day uh, for a TV shoot is the shooting hours are between eight o'clock and in the morning and seven o'clock in the evening. So it would generally be 11 hour day. And on either side of that, you've got costume makeup, um, all the technical guys like camera guys, grips, all that. They've all got work and like there'll be call times at maybe around six. And then after seven, obviously everything needs to be packed up. So you're looking at sometimes like 12 13 14 hour days ricky uh doesn't like to work beyond four and i'd heard that as a rumor and it turns out it's absolutely completely true i have never known a director to work as fast as ricky does and i think it comes it's helpful because he not only like you know uh stars in but also writes and directs so like he knows what he wants going into it. So like there's no there's no wasted time like you know working out what setups they want. He knows exactly what he wants and that that happens and we all get to go home early and like see our families and things like that, which is a is a, is a wild thing in the acting industry. I mean for the first but in, in to answer your more um, uh, concrete point, the first time that I went in, I literally I cannot stress this enough. I was there for like an hour, like it was not a long experience and um you know there's there's obviously like nerves coming into something especially with someone of ricky's stature where you're sort of like okay well i've I've got to do good because like you know he's the governor um so you know i did what i could like you know always do your best that's the that's 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 all you can do and like you know so i went in went out everyone seemed really nice and i was like well that that was a good day and then when it came to series two and like everything like ramped up in a big way that's when i learned sort of like the you know how uh, a working day with Ricky Gervais actually genuinely sort of feels like and like the speed is great and exhilarating but also kind of tough because like you know you know that like you've got a certain number of takes to get this and like generally what will happen is like we'll do it as written once so he's got it clean and in the bag and then the rest of the time is playtime so like we'll start improvising, start throwing stuff around, just like you know, as, as have as much fun as we have. Like that was how the cake scene, um, the infamous cake scene, uh, um, developed because that was basically an ad lib that got out of control. Uh, so it's it's a really fun set to work on, and it was again when we were doing series three. Like obviously, obviously everything was a bit different because we were working under COVID protocols, so it wasn't as free as it as it was before. But like, you know, Netflix worked really, really hard to make sure that the set was as safe as possible. 
and like you know so we still had the opportunity to like you know play around and have fun while still keeping it safe like re regular testing masks everywhere like you know it was, it was safe and with any luck like we'll still get the same result that we had for series two like you won't notice the difference uh which be which would be nice yeah no but that's mental that you know i'm still blown away by it when you said four hours so so how does it work then like you said normally you know you, you start at eight finish at seven it's 12 13 hours or whatever 11 12 hours for real 13 hours even so how does it work with 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 working with ricky is does it just start at eight and finish at 12 oh sorry uh he doesn't work for four hours he doesn't work he doesn't like to work beyond 4 p.m yeah, yeah. Oh, he's all. Oh, right. sorry, okay, sorry. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, thought, uh, I, I was gonna say, I was telling like, what he only works four hours and he does all. No, no, I should have clarified that better. So instead of being from eight until seven, it'll be from eight until four. Ah, okay. So everything is, is extremely quick then, everything's getting done. Yeah, how, but how, because I understand he can control that himself. So he could be like, I need to make sure that I'm the best actor in every single scene and make sure that I am the best I could be. How does he get everyone else to be like, right, we're working till four? You need to smash one it out of, first time. One of Ricky's low-key talents, and like, you know, this is going to sound like I'm bigging myself up, but I'm talking about the whole swathe of his career here. One of Ricky's hidden talents is how good he is as a casting director. Like, he hires people that he knows he can get the best performances out of. And like, you know, again, that sounds like I'm, you know, really bigging myself up because I went from one scene to series regular. But like, you know, that's, that's how he works. Like, he knows he will only hire people that he knows can get it really quick, really fast and can bring to the role what they represent. Like, you know, for all sort of like the kind of um, like impossible uh, solving of issues in terms of casting, the real answer to casting is you cast people who physically and mentally and emotionally represent what you're going for, which is why it can be so tough in this industry because like, you know, it doesn't matter how skilled you are. Sometimes someone just has the nature better and as I say, Ricky's low-key talent is being able to recognise that in his performers. So there's never going to be a situation where he has to like over-direct us or anything like that. We bring to it exactly what, we, what he needs. Oof, I mean, I've, I, yeah, no, I, I'm glad you clarified that he's going work just four hours. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, that, no, that thinking, wouldn't happen. Say, We'd never get I'm it done. Just, yeah, I was just <laughs> you'd, ne you'd never get it done. But it is, it is, it, it is mental. It's like... I mean, for me, it's mental because, you know, Ricky Gervais is this sort of, you know, ultra celebrity almost. He's huge. Um, and so, like, the the chance of working with him, I know you worked with Jack Whitehall, who's also massive as well. But to work with someone like Gervais, I don't know why, but Gervais always comes across as, he seems like a different, different than two other celebrities almost. Like, he seems like, I don't know what it is. He, he just, he, he seems like that. Do you, do you often have interactions with him? Is he like, oh, Ethan, how was your weekend? Or is it just like you go in and it's brutal? You essentially just smash it out until four and then basically at four, it's home time. Now, he, he runs a loose set. Like, you know, I, I think because especially when you're making comedy and like especially something as improv heavy as Afterlife, it has to be a loose set because otherwise it's sort of, you know, it would just be it would be too repressive to like you know actually get a good performance out of people so like you know we'll chat while cameras are moving on like a lighting setup needs to be done uh like you know not not just about the show like obviously we'll discuss ideas and like you know uh lines that we might want to try but like you know we talk about all sorts of stuff as well it genuinely really is a lovely set to work on and um uh you know it's yeah uh, you know i even during uh under covid protocols like you know it still had the same atmosphere that series two had 
which is just really nice. It's a nice, it's, it's a place where you feel like you, you're free to play, which yeah. um, like, you know, not, not to sort of like, you know, say that that's the way of doing things. Like it isn't like, you know, other um, jobs will require sort of like much more tighter and firmer discipline um which is which is fine because it get it gets it all done but it's it's you're reaching for different effects you know what i mean like you know uh you know working in a morrison's where you work would be different in another town for example mm. like it's different clientele it's a different like even the size of the store can change everything no 100 and it does because i've worked at two morrison stores and it definitely does um you'll know then you'll know exactly uh i, I want to quickly touch on one thing and then um and then i've got a final question to you uh, you've mentioned how a lot of um, the things that you do on Afterlife is often improv. Um, ha- has there ever been a point where you were just like, someone did something and you were just like, I don't know how to react? And um, what's, what's your thinking behind, behind when you're doing improv as well? Uh, well, I have, I have a grounding in improv. Um, uh, when I was at university, I was um, not only a, a large part, but also became president of the improv society. That we oh, okay. Uh, so I have I have a grounding in improvisation and even going back to um, uh, the days when I was um, training with Gary, like improv was a big part of it. So I, I feel comfortable improvising. Um, you know, it's it's really all just about like, you know, allowing a scene to build, like, you know, instead of like blocking stuff or things like that, just allowing the scene to build and like, you know, responding to what everyone else is doing, almost like almost like a just a normal conversation, except you're, you're, you're playing a, a part. The only really difficult stuff is when you're improvising and one of your fellow actors hits on something that is so funny. There's no way you're going to make it through the rest of the scene. It's just not going to happen. Um, again, I, I, I draw your attention to the uh, the outtakes for the cake scene yeah. uh, where me and uh, Mr. David Earl uh, were just choking on cake and trying to get some trying to get something usable out of those shots but it was it was just it was just too much it was just too much and yeah. ricky wasn't helping laughing in the background <laughs> like <laughs> I, I it is a miracle that we got through that no i mean i i mean it seemed just in in general the whole the whole podcast as well it seems like uh i mean you smashed it you know you 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 didn't go through drama school you went through a very unorthodox route uh, you had your ups following bad education and then you had, you know, a massive down. I know you said you enjoyed the job, uh, but for a year you didn't know what you were kind of, you know, what was It wasn't happening. where I wanted to yeah, be. Yeah, you weren't where you wanted to be essentially. And then, you know, you got an opportunity to go back onto Afterlife uh, and be a regular. Um, and there's a lot of people who love you. I mean, you've got 60 odd thousand people on TikTok, a huge bad education um, following on there. We're very close to hitting 69,000, which is mental nice yeah i mean i'm sure you'd love that Um, (laughs) i'm sure you'd love that although once the civilians clip comes out right okay (laughs) i wouldn't say um well i mean i I have got one final sorry i die every time i mention it um oh i've got one final question to you if you can actually answer it without without laughing um about civilians it is about civilians. It's about the, the, the 20 year old civilians right now, right? The 20 year old civilians who don't know what they're doing with their life, who are in this sort of weird phase of being in a pandemic and they got all this pressure of needing to know what to do. And, and, and they're just seeking out advice because that's why I started this podcast because I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I wanted to meet people. COVID, uh, university, I couldn't meet people because of COVID. So I decided to start a podcast. But so, so people like me who don't know what they're doing, what advice would you give to 20, 21, 22 year olds out there right now? 
don't set a time limit on yourself like society and especially sort of like the 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 early years like seems to push a lot of people to like make lifelong decisions when they're barely adults sometimes when they're not even adults and like you know I, th I think I learned this largely from sort of like how unreliable my work can be which is that there's no there's, there's no time limit on being able to do stuff that you want to do like you know if you don't know what you want to do by the time you're 20 that's fine like you've still got plenty of time you've still got plenty of life to live um and like you know now that we're sort of coming out of this of this era of the pandemic and like we're able to do things that we weren't able to do before put yourself in situations where you can try something like you know it's it's sort of the opposite of what I did like I knew what I wanted to do from an early age and that's rare but like you know I made it work but like you know go try stuff like take up a craft learn a hobby like you know take take the time because you have more time than you think you do society is desperate to make you think that you've got like, like you are on a timer and like the the sand is is running out as fast as you possibly can but i mean i, I did a video about this on tiktok not so long ago uh which is i think is quite opposite and worth bearing in mind which is that jason statham didn't get his first film role until he was 31 harrison ford was 38 when he was in star wars and Alan Rickman uh, didn't uh, get his first feature film role until he was well into his 40s. Uh, so there's no, there is no time limit. Like, whatever you want to do, there's time. And don't write yourself off when you're young, when you're 20. Like, you've still got so much, so much still to go. Life is long. Live it. That's perfect. That's usually my final question, but I actually have got a quick one because I forgot to answer this. And this was meant to be one of the first ones. <laughs> you actually, and that just shows how um, unorganized I am. Uh, you, the, re the the way I sort of realized, I, I, the the way we got to the point where we chatted about you coming on the podcast was you tweeted out saying that you wanted to be on podcast. You just like, you know what, you don't get if you don't ask. I want to be on podcast. If anyone wants me, send me a message or whatever. Why do you want to be on podcast? I've loved podcasts for a long time. Uh, I discovered them around uh, the early point of 2016 and like it's now a significant portion of my day is listening to podcasts and like uh, how best to put this I wanted to parlay some of the goodwill that I've garnered from like you know being on uh, telly and stuff and like making people laugh I wanted to parlay that into having the skill of being good on podcasts without actually putting in the work of making a podcast myself so I set a trap <laughs> and I, I let everyone come to me and uh you you, you bit Tarek I'm, I'm yeah. sorry uh <laughs> and yeah I was just about to say you caught me you caught me and and, and a few others as well um but, but I mean I mean you're not going to edit this this is going to go out unedited so yeah no this exactly so, yeah, everyone can, can we really describe this last hour and a half as work Really, I mean, I don't get paid for it, so I don't think I can. But I mean, what we what we have got is we've got you calling people civilians, telling I... people that they can only that they can only um, get interacting if they go through the way that you're that you've gone, uh, yep. and now that you have openly tricked every single podcast that you've been on, um, just so that you can be on podcasts without actually having to make a podcast. So if that doesn't get you cancelled, I don't know what will. Uh, hashtag cancel Ethan Lawrence is about to begin. You know what? I think this was a good first podcast of the post me asking to be on podcast era. I think if that is going to be, if that's the layup, then well, 
What a exactly. slam dunk this is going to be. <laughs> no, I hope so. I hope so. But um, I mean, I, I've, I've, I've finished. I like I said, I'll, I'll, this is the part that will get edited out, as in this final bit, because I edit, I put the intro, I put the outro in lit afterwards, because I end up writing an outro up. That's what I want to make sure that I mention. Um, but it's been an absolute pleasure, Ethan. I, I can't remember the last time I've laughed so much uh, in a in a podcast. I had a feeling it would be funny just because it's you. Uh, and it was That's it was it. absolutely hilarious um and like i've I said, really enjoyed this thank you so much it has been oh, a really really good time i've enjoyed it a great deal honestly it's my absolute pleasure like like i said at the beginning you you have this thing about you uh, and immediately i got it within the first two three minutes where you you can just tell that you're likable you're relatable that you listen um i mean the fact that you mentioned morrison's after like an hour after i mentioned it just made me think this guy definitely did listen just taking um, interest in people is yeah, hard no, <laughs> and i relate to that because that's again another reason why i started the podcast is because i'm so interested in the everyday person um you know i just want to learn about them one of the annoying things about covid is that we don't we no longer get to sit next to people on the bus on the train i used to have the best conversations with people on the bus and the train I like just amazing ones. I remember once I met a guy who was like 60 odd years old. We were just sitting on the bus getting getting home from Manchester. And he was telling me about how he he bought a, 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 a he bought one of the buildings on Deansgate and how it's worth this much now. And he sold it ages ago because they wanted shops and whatever. Some crazy stories. Uh, and I just find I found it fascinating. And I just thought, you know what? I want to start a podcast where I just chat with people uh, and then tell myself that I've been productive at the end of the day. Well, uh, for, for my part, you were a fantastic interviewer. Um, Thank you. Like you, you, you got me in all the right ways. Asked great questions. This was a this was a really easy interview, and that's you know that's testament to your to your skill as an interviewer. Like honestly, I really do appreciate that, Ethan. Normally, I I, I message the guests at the end asking them if they've got any sort of any, any sort of feedback or uh, any sort of because uh, you know I'd be as harsh as possible if you've got sort of anything that you you'd suggest that I improve on. You know, as someone that works in entertainment, if you've got anything that I should improve on, then please do let me know because. I just want you to be as, as, as harsh as possible. Just um, get your questions in the right order. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. Honestly, that was a joke. I've, I've no notes because it felt natural. It felt nice. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I don't I don't really have any notes. I've, re I've really genuinely enjoyed the last 90 minutes I spent with Brilliant. you. Brilliant. Honestly, that makes so, me feel, mate. Genuinely does. And uh, this will be out on Sunday. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. So, it'll be, so basically, my plan, because I realized that you're going to be on a load of podcasts, I thought, I need to get it out as soon as get normally, out. <laughs> normally I basically because I have a huge backlog of, of podcasts um, and I normally basically do them all on, on order. So even though my questions aren't in order, my podcasts are. Um, but when oh you there? but because um yeah, I'm, I'm there, sorry someone else is gonna get you on, I was like, like, you know what, I need to get it, I need to get there as soon as possible. Uh, so I'm gonna upload it on Sunday. I'm literally gonna record the intro and outro right now, edit it as soon as possible and get it scheduled for Sunday. So on Sunday it will be out. Uh, I'll message you on. Is Twitter the best way to message you on DM? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's best yeah. way to get me. So I'll DM either that you or email. You've got me email as well. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll DM you on on Twitter and email you, and just like giving you the links. And obviously, if you can share them as well, then uh, yeah, no, and, I'll, and, I'll, I'll I'll fire it out as a as, I'd as massively a money, as appreciate. It. Um, and um, next time you meet Ricky Gervais, if you tell him, by the way, there's a guy called Tariq. He's got a good podcast. You should come on. Then. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, uh, but yeah, other than that, mate, honestly, absolutely appreciate it coming on. It's been one of the best ones I've recorded, uh, if not the best one. Uh, and oh, thank you so you. much. Uh, thank you. Thank you, dude. I've had a thank great you. time. Take care, mate. Have a great day. You too. Bye. See you later. And that is it for this week's episode of the Me, Myself and Hopefully You podcast. Um, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I was laughing so hard. 
uh, throughout the podcast because Ethan was just brilliant. Uh, and even afterwards, um, he messaged me and, and he said, thank you for letting him come on. I mean, it was my pleasure, 100%. Um, and yeah, it was hilarious. Make sure you follow him on TikTok because um, he's even more funnier on, on TikTok. Uh, it's just Ethan Lawrence. Um, and yeah, if you did enjoy it, then please uh, feel, uh, please do give us a follow, uh, leave a review um, and make sure you share us on Instagram, tag me at Podcast. I always appreciate anyone who's willing to share it on their socials um, or anyone that's just sort of sends me a message and tells me what they think. Feedback is always welcome. Um, give it on the MMHY podcast Instagram or give it on my own Instagram at Rio Tarek Ahmed. Uh, other than that, thank you so much for listening. Have a great week. Until next time.